turn in your Bibles to 2 John. And there's only one chapter if you haven't figured that out. We'll be doing uh, reading verses 4 through 6. And the message will come from there. Give your attention to the reading of the Word of God. I have rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Father, bless our understanding, the reading, the exposition, and the application of your infallible, inerrant word, we ask in Jesus' name. There are many metaphors for living the Christian life. Um, I've mentioned many times that perhaps the primary metaphor in the Bible is warfare. But it is rival, and we are engaged in a spiritual conflict, and that we should be very mindful of the spiritual conflict that rages all around us. Um, in culture, in the heavenly places, as well as in our personal uh, life. But with that, that, and even perhaps more mentioned in Scripture, you do a word study on walking or the walk of, of faith is the metaphor of walking. Walking is no doubt the most uh, basic thing in, in human life. I mean, what do we what do we talk about when our children are born and, and uh, we wait in, with eager anticipation uh, that they start to walk and then we, we live in mortal fear that they are walking. <laughs> uh, it is it is has been from the beginning, the primary means of transportation. Uh, we see this in the Bible constantly. I, I marvel when um, I've had the opportunity to go to the Bible lands and think about what what is a relatively short distance by by a bus or a car is a great distance. And I think of all the times that the Lord Jesus walked back and forth from the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem and down around uh, Jericho and, and uh, that uh, was quite an, an event. And even health-wise, if you think of our own personal life, the, the easiest thing to do for an exercise program is to go out your door and walk. Just basic to life. And so it's no surprise that this, the scripture makes it one of the primary metaphors for living the Christian life. As important it is to our everyday life 
and well-being, how we walk through life spiritually is absolutely uh, essential. I, I think of um, often whenever I see this expression in the Bible, I think of um, the uh, Puritan Baptist John Bunyan, who in 1678 wrote this incredible uh, allegory of the Christian life called Pilgrim's Progress. And if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, consider yourself uneducated. <laughs> it, it was, it, I was an English major in college. Even in the secular English program in a state college, Pilgrim's Progress is presented as one of the great works of literature. But more than that, it is uh, written by a man of God named John Bunyan, who was in a dungeon taking out of his pulpit for refusing to bow down to the state, put in the tower uh, and imprisoned, and God used that imprisonment as he has used imprisonments throughout the ages to further the kingdom to give us this incredible allegory of the Christian life. And it's a simple story about Christian and his companions on the way from the city of destruction that he was born in to the celestial city of eternal life. Such a beautiful, beautiful story. And the way to the celestial city, we learn right away at the beginning, it's through the wicked gate. And it's on the, the path of the way. And the wicked gate is the cross. The wicked gate is Jesus, and the path, the way, is Jesus. And that's really what this passage before us is about as well. It comes right from this analogy in Scripture, where the elder, who we're sure in John, 2 John, is John uh, the Apostle. And he talks about walking in the truth. And it gave him great joy to see the children of this elect lady that he is writing to. It gave him great uh, joy to see that some of her children were walking in the truth. Now, I found that very interesting. It struck me, and I mentioned it last Sunday night, and uh, how it struck me, that expression, some of the children. And this, this uh, could be interpreted a couple of different ways. At least, at least two come to my mind. It could be that he only knew some of her children. And he could only say firsthand, have firsthand knowledge that some of these children were walking in the truth. Whether it is... Uh, a individual lady or whether it's a, a, a lady is a metaphor for a church body. The application, I believe, is still the same. But I think given what John has written earlier about those who are in danger of falling away from the faith, whether it is an individual elect lady or whether it is the gathering 
of a local church and one church uh, that he is attending, uh, referencing another church, which is quite possible. The truth is, the simple truth is that some of her children, whether individually in her family or whether as a church family, were not walking in the truth. Personally, and as a pastor, this hit me. And I know it hit some of you just as, just as squarely. But the rejoicing is that some were walking in the truth, even though some perhaps were not. It was so joyful this week at Vacation Bible School um, to see the enthusiasm of, the, of not only the children participating, but the adults who were supervising. And I do thank Catherine Bruce for being the initiator of this and coordinator of this after a several-year hiatus of Vacation Bible School. Uh, There's a lot of unbounded joy and energy. And my favorite comment was uh, that uh, someone was reported, one of the young children was reported to say, we should have vacation Bible school forever. <laughs> Every day. For all time. I, I interpreted it as vacation Bible school forever. <laughs> How do you think about it? You know? Really uh, uh, great singing, great Bible studies, great crafts, great decorations, all these great, great teachers uh, loving and caring for you. <coughs> well, that, that really ought to be the picture of the church. And it, do, it does make your heart glad when you see children loving the truth of the Word of God. It is such a joy. It is anticipatory of heaven is what's going to be like. And all the big things you do, there's going to be, I believe there's going to be work in heaven. There's going to be things for us to do. We're not, part of that work, the main work is going to be praising God together forever. And so the, all these anticipatory things that we should have in our public worship, in our public gathering, as well as everything that we do. But the joy of seeing children loving the truth and coming to the truth. This text reminds us that we are all children of God by faith if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus. And we should have that same kind of uh, childlike enthusiasm for, for attending and loving the truth, walking in the truth, among many other things, means that we gather around the truth. That's why uh, the, the reading and the application of the Word of God is always the center of our worship. And so what are we trying to communicate? How do we walk in the truth? The second point I would make this morning is we do that by loving one another, by keeping God's commandments. 
I ask you, dear lady, whether he's speaking again to an individual, the church, my tendency is to think it's the church because of the plural nature of these pronouns that follow. So it's, uh, so, and um, the more modern scholars tend in that direction, but I, again, I think the application remains uh, regardless. This is not something new. This is repetition that we've had uh, before. Uh, this new commandment is, is something that John wrote about back in chapter 2 of, of, of his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 7. This, the command to love uh, one another, is an old one. It goes way back. It goes way back to his time as he walked with Jesus many years before this. He had walked with Jesus and, and recorded um, the words of the Lord Jesus, uh, this, is, this, is, this is the commandment I give you, that you love one another. This is the heart of, of the application of the Christian life, is that you love one another. And this is not new. This is our responsibility as believers to 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 hold forth to the watching world. What do we hold forth? We're to hold forth and show forth the love of God. Not only is it go back to Jesus' commandment that he gave in John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 34, to love one another. As the one who loves you. So he made that very clear. It goes back to the law. This is why uh, the word commandment, I believe, is used four times in these three verses. Is that right? One, two, three, four. It's a commandment. It's, a, it's not an option in the Christian life. It goes back to um, the Shema. Hear, O Israel. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God is one God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and all of your soul. And you shall talk about it with your children when you go out, when you come in. It should be, be something that you meditate. You should put it on the doorposts. You should write it on your wrist and you put it on your forehead. And it should be your constant meditation and delight. And the Lord Jesus in Matthew's Gospel 22, when he taught about this commandment, said the second one is like it. He said that's the great commandment, but the second one is like it. And that's the one in Leviticus chapter 19. Buried, it seems like it's buried amidst all those sacrificial things and all those difficult things to understand about the, the Old Testament ceremonial law. There's this incredible commandment that says, love your neighbor as yourself. And in Matthew 22, Jesus says, on, on, the, on, on these two depend everything. This summarizes all the law and the prophets. Love is not merely an emotion. It is obedience to God's commandments. 
we have so often substituted emotions for the duty of obedience that comes from having a new heart and that has led to absolute disaster in our lives and the lives around us. In the book of Romans, there, there are many places you can go to see this in the scriptures. First Corinthians 13 is maybe paramount, but but just as explicit in this point of the application of law is Romans chapter 13. You know, in 11 chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul expounds this incredible truth of the doctrines of grace, that salvation is not of works, it's not of your human ability, it's nothing that you do, it's totally, completely by the sovereign grace of God alone. And then in, beginning in chapter 12, verse 1, he begins to make the application of that. He begins to tell us how to walk in love, and it begins by presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, which is your only reasonable response to all that God has done for you uh, in saving you from death and hell forever. And, and just after chapter 12, he, he, he talks about the, the duty to submit to authorities, those in authority in chapter 13. And then our responsibility to give uh, deference to uh, rightful authorities. And then there's verse 8 of chapter 13, which, which is the same thing that John is talking about in his epistle. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. We live in a Christian culture that wants to set aside God's law. I, I heard recently one of our uh, members tried to find a church, and they were from, they went to a church, and the first thing they said, they knew they were from a Reformed background, they said, no law, no law. I can't believe they said that. We, there's not, the, the law is, uh, that is heresy. No, we're not saved by keeping laws. No. In fact, it's a really important to understand the three uses of the law. The first, the, but the, and the number one use of the law uh, is, is as a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. The number one use of the law is like a, a mirror that we hold up and, and we measure ourselves in this perfect mirror. It's not like these fake mirrors that you have sometimes, these skinny mirrors that make you look skinny. My wife will buy you those. <laughs> it's a perfect mirror it gives you a perfect reflection you stare into the law the ten commandments and it shows you everything that's wrong with your heart it's a spiritual mirror to show you 
how desperately wicked your heart is and how desperately you need a savior and how how you have this fatal condition Gail Peterson walked in with a band-aid on her head and she, like me, she has to go to the dermatologist regularly to have things removed. That if they're not removed, they're going to, they're going to be deadly. And that's what the law does, spiritually. It shows us those things that are deadly in our lives that need to be removed. look at it we're to look at sin as Jay so often so wonderfully mentions in our worship we need to say I'm sorry to God for what we've done we need to hear each other say we're sorry to God for what we've done we need to be honest before God and before his people about our sin This is what love is. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Only. Feelings come from this kind of love, certainly. The truest and the best, the deepest feeling. But the true, true love is wrapped up in our obedience to God's commandments. And then that's the last point. It's not merely knowing the commandments. It's not merely the first use of the law. It's not merely the second use of the law, hoping that we pass good laws and legislation to order society well. It's the third use of the law that comes from a changed heart, which is the Holy Spirit's work of producing fruit, the fruit of walking daily in love. It is one thing to know the commandments. It is another thing to walk in them. And we had a wonderful discussion in uh, the, the J. Gresham Nation class on Christianity and liberalism and, uh, and how, about how liberals, uh, people who don't really believe the Bible is the word of God can know a lot about the Bible. Yet have no, no desire to apply any of it to actual life. That's the difference between the, being, being a self-righteous, self-absorbed Pharisee or Sadducee, more like a Sadducee, I suppose, knowing a lot about the scripture, knowing a lot about the Bible, but thinking that it applies to someone else and not me. To walk in love means to make a studied determination that because of my changed heart and my forgiveness of sins that I have in Christ, that I am going to live as a follower of Christ and seek to order my, my way according to his word and what he has done for me. And I'm not going to worship idols. I'm going to, I'm going to make a determination that I'm not going to put some worthless thing in front of my eyes like Job did. Like the psalmist did. Or like Job did. I'm, I made a covenant with my eyes that I'm not going to look upon a, a young woman in a lustful way. I'm going to do the things that God has commanded to me. I'm going to walk 
in a way that is upright. You need to understand that these are not just just uh, random things that that are, appear. It's just the difference between Christianity and and religion or liberalism as we've been studying. These are these are God's moral laws that are inviolable. Just, just as there are physical laws that govern the physical universe, there are, this moral law governs the spiritual universe. And they are, we separate them in our mind, but they're right together. I guarantee you that if you jump out of an airplane without a parachute, the law of gravity will end your life most of the time. I've heard a few people survive. I wouldn't recommend doing that. If, you, if, um, if you've ever studied chemistry or, or physics, you know that if you have to learn all of these variables and all these things about physical laws, if you get one little thing wrong, if you don't memorize it exactly right, you get everything wrong. Same is true. Just as that is true in the physical universe, it is true in the moral universe because the physical laws are subsumed under God's spirituality and, and his creative power because he is the one who made all things, including us, for his own glory. Someone as well said, facts are stubborn things. They are. The fact of the word of God is the most stubborn thing in the universe because it is true. No matter what culture says, no matter what your heart says, no matter what uh, the voices around you say, the word of God is true. And they are just as inviolable as the physical law of gravity or the law of entropy or any other of your favorite uh, scientific understandings. Can you say with the psalmist, oh, how I love that law. It is my meditation day and night. Every, every believer should know at least the, the framework of the Ten Commandments that it ought to turn over your heart and mind constantly. It ought to guide your path. Am I, and and is what I'm doing, is it, is it demonstrating love for God? Is, is what I'm doing demonstrating love for my neighbor? That ought to order our universe that we live in. And it ought to uh, guide our path and be what we walk on. Not in our own power and strength, but because the life of Christ is in us, we are united to him by faith. And because his life is in us, we want to live that way. What is at stake is no less than eternity. What are you walking in? Ask yourself right now, what are you walking in? Are you walking in the filth of this world, the mire of this world, the corruption of this world, 
Are, we, are you walking according to your own understanding? Are you trying to sort things out on your own without the, the, the great truth of the gospel and the life of Christ that flows from the gospel? Then the walk, I've often compared walking is like a two-step march. You know, you go to Army basic training, first thing they do is teach you to march, or one of the first things they try to teach you is how to march. At least they used to. I don't know if they do that anymore. But you put one step forward, and you put the other one, and you do it in good order. Well, the walk, the, the walk of the Christian life, the first step is repentance. And the second step is faith. And the next step is repentance. And the next step is faith. And, that, and that's how you begin. And that's how you continue. And that is the walk that God has called us to. And the guide to keep us in rhythm is not some sergeant with a vulgar Jody call. It's something far greater. The rhythm is loving God. Loving people, knowing his commandments, and seeking by grace through faith in Jesus Christ to keep them. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this great truth of the gospel that transforms our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to walk the walk of faith of repentance and faith constantly. Father, may that fill our minds and hearts with joy this morning. And may we go forth from this place better equipped to walk the walk of faith. We pray in Jesus' name.